WTM, watch this movie. I am Eric Mulder. So he says, wrecked him, damn near killed him. Damn near. Mm-hmm. Joining me today is Mr. Positivity, a.k.a. Wolf E.T., a.k.a. Brett. Yes. Also at PositivelyWolf1 on the Twitter. Follow me. It's mostly wrestling and UFC stuff. I see you're still spamming people. Podcast recommendations just flooded once in a while. I think I did about <laughs> six or seven last mm, night. Yeah, because I dropped the I dropped the the show uh, Twitter account, which is basically Mulder's. Yeah, basically, he's not as active as I am. I try and just post stuff, like stuff about movies. Mm-hmm. Like I use it to look at things on Twitter, but I don't retweet or like stuff that isn't really film related. Mm-hmm. Mostly. Can't think of the last thing I did. It really wasn't film related. But, anyways, we are at, or I should say, the show's page is at watch this underscore movie. Follow us both. Yeah. Do it. ASAP. That means now. Mm hmm. Today, we are continuing our examination of media and culture with the film I, Tanya from 2017. Now, this was the first time you had seen it. Yeah. A couple weeks ago. And you were not disappointed. Is that a fair assessment? It's very good. I recommend it. Now, this was Jones's number one movie of 2017, and it was my number four. And then when we revisited the list for the 2018 episode, I changed it to my number one, and it stayed at Alex's number one. So this was our consensus, number one. This is an ASAP. I don't remember what else came out in 2017 to compare it to, but it's pretty good. I originally had Blade Runner 2049 as my favorite from that year. Yeah, I won't even watch that. Yeah. <laughs> I also had uh, It Comes at Night was two or three, and along with Wind River was up there. Okay. I haven't seen either of those. Um, Wind River's been on my list for about a half a year. I don't even know if it's still on Netflix. I think it is. But anyways, yeah, we're big fans of this movie over here at WTM. And I think it's a pretty perfect allegory for, I guess, the state of media today. It kind of started decades ago, and it just continues to get worse and worse, as well as our culture, not just the media. It's kind of the jump-off point of... Legitimate news turning into tabloid news. Natural Born Killers, our last movie we talked about on this subject, came out in 94. They even referenced, I think, there was a a shot of Tanya Harding falling down in a competition. 
I forget if it's her or Nancy. It might have been, been Nancy. I forget. Yeah. But I think they they might have shown the aftermath of the attack too. Yeah. And you know, along with the OJ trial and Menendez brothers, the OJ case is shown again in this movie. <laughs> the the uh, media finally forgets about Jeff Galuli when the uh, OJ mm-hmm. shit starts hitting the fan. But um yeah, let's get into the details and then we'll unpack it more. Directed by Craig Gillespie, starring Margot Robbie as Tanya Harding, Sebastian Stan as Jeff Galuli, Allison Janney as Lavana, Tanya's mother, Julianne Nicholson as Diane Rawlinson, her main coach. There's about a two-year period where she had a different coach. She's mm-hmm. only one scene, I think. Yeah. Uh, Paul Walter Hauser as Sean. Bobby Cannavale is Martin Maddox. He's the hard copy reporter. Caitlin Carver plays Nancy Kerrigan. Boyana Nov- Novakovic is the uh, that other coach. Do- uh, Dottie Teachman. <laughs> That's a good name for coach. Yeah. <laughs> Teachman. McKenna Grace plays young Tanya, 8 to 12. There isn't really too many characters in here besides the main ones. Yeah, most of the other characters are really minor. Yeah, like Lynn Ash and Steve Waden play Sean's parents. They're probably the other most prominent characters and maybe a couple of the FBI agents. Yeah, you get some of the the skating judges in there a little bit, but not too much. Obviously, there's big-name reporters that they use, you know, kind of found footage of from you know broadcast back in the early to mid 90s yeah i think there's a couple people uncredited as like oksana bayul and christy yamaguchi matt lauer (laughs) (laughs) that didn't age well (laughs) say that about a lot of things yep all right Uh, i'll get to the storyline here Competitive ice skater Tanya Harding rises amongst the ranks at the U.S. Figure Skating Championships, but her future in the activity is thrown into doubt when her ex-husband intervenes. I guess. (laughs) Her ex-husband and his doofus friend. (laughs) Boobs. (laughs) They're all boobs. (laughs) Oh, man. So the film starts out with text that says, based on irony-free... Wildly contradictory, totally true interviews with Tanya Harding and Jeff Gluley. Gluley. Mm-hmm. And her mother. Yep. And uh, Diane Rollinson, the the coach. Yep. Um, and Sean, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the counterterrorism expert. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sean's my favorite character. <laughs> you dumb bastard. <laughs> He's got delusions of grandeur. <laughs> And everything just blows up in his face. Yeah, the whole cast is incredible. Uh, I would have been fine with uh, Margot Robbie winning Best Actress. She was terrific as Nancy. I'm glad Allison Janney won. Tanya. What did I say? Nancy. Nancy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big mistake. The makeup is uh, fantastic. Yeah. These these people look so much like the real people. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I don't know if they got nominated for that, but. Yeah, Elson Janney, well-deserved Best Supporting Actress win. Oh, absolutely. I thought she she was probably the strongest performance. 
Yeah. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. And the fact that during the end credits, they show a clip of the actual interview (laughs) of the, the character she's playing. And it's virtually identical to <laughs> Alice and Janney's performance in the movie. I thought that was that was pretty awesome. Yeah, she even has a bird on her shoulder. You're thinking, there's no way this woman has a bird on her shoulder. <laughs> this is the most absurd thing ever. <laughs> Why would she have a bird on her shoulder that constantly pecks at her ear? And that's exactly what the real interview is. It's the whole movie you're thinking, this has got to be the biggest collection of morons <laughs> right. that I've seen in one place this is ridiculous this can't be true and then it's like pretty similar (laughs) yeah well and like tanya comes off as kind of a sympathetic figure because she's she's kind of complicit in it but Mm. they take it to a whole nother level that she wasn't expecting yeah and just kind of at least according to her and i think even at least at one time galuli said you know she never knew anything about the assault because there was never supposed to be an assault yeah, they're supposed to write letters mm-hmm. to Nancy, threatening letters to Nancy Kerrigan. Cost you a thousand dollars. I got my two best guys on. <laughs> two best operatives. <laughs> so you know, and Tanya's real rough around the edges. You yeah, know? she went into to boxing. I I forget. I was gonna look up. Because she was on Fox's Celebrity Boxing. Yeah. They had one or two of those cards with uh, stars of yesterday. Yeah. And I forget who she fought. If she fought like... I was thinking she fought Amy Fisher. I think she did. But I wasn't 100% sure. Because then they had like Danny Bonaducci fight Greg <laughs> Brady and, yeah. <laughs> and all that shit. Yeah. I believe when I looked earlier, her professional boxing record was 6-3, and three, so... That's not pretty. Bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. I know she's frequently on uh, True TV's. It's uh, like True TV presents, and then it's like world's stupidest something criminals or something. Yeah, and uh, Makes sense. it's just a clip show of like internet videos, and then they have like D level celebrities commentate over it. When you do a hit, don't put it on Visa. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. <laughs> If you're going to move your car to not be suspicious, maybe don't do it every 15 minutes and then stay in the same parking lot. (laughs) Of the wrong arena. (laughs) (laughs) Just turn around and park on the other side of the row. Reading, I guess, some of the real story, or I guess snippets from Wikipedia at least, I saw that Shane Stance, or Stant, whatever his name was, the guy who actually hit Nancy Kerrigan. Oh, yeah. He was moving his car every 15 minutes at the wrong arena. So once he figured out it was in the wrong arena, he took a 20-hour bus trip to Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was the... Derek was the getaway driver. Yeah. I guess that's his uncle. Okay. And uh, so I don't know. He must have met him there. I'm not exactly sure why he had to take a 20-hour bus trip to Detroit from Massachusetts, but... I don't know. They must have separated or something. Maybe he had to rent a car or something. I don't know. Yeah. And then he, he says, I can't afford to drive a rent a car to Detroit. That's dedication, though. Let me take the bus. Maybe that's why Sean wanted more money. He's like, well, he had to fucking take a bus. <laughs> <laughs> he spent two days at the wrong place. He needed to take a cross-country bus trip. Probably had to go fill the gas tank a couple times after running it for two days. <laughs> 
putting zero miles on it. But it's, you know, it's almost hard to believe that this actually happened the way it did in the movie. And for the fo- for the most part, I don't think they exaggerated hardly anything. Yeah. Shane Stant was his name. It sounded like Bobby kind of always said Stance one time. but I can't remember. I think they put their names up on screen when they introduced yeah. them. But. Yeah, they did. Yeah, I mean, like it said, this is based off of wildly contradicting stories. And so you don't really have, there's nobody you can trust in this. Yeah. You know, unreliable narrators, multiple, which is one of the first occasions I can remember that happening. You know, Goodfellas, that has multiple narrators. Ray Liotta, uh, Lorraine Bracco, you know, his wife, she narrates it. She narrates some of it, but they're reliable narrators. Mm-hmm. This one, everyone's, I mean, outside of, you know, you'd say the coach or the hard copy reporter because you think he's being honest. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they're reliable, but yeah. the others, it's like, mm. Right. Because they've both at least known to have lied at one point about this, about the incident, about their relationship. Mm. I guess it's up to the viewer to choose what you want to believe. Yeah. Well, and I, I think the filmmaker probably did a good job of piecing together the parts that, yeah. that didn't quite contradict each other. Mm-hmm. And then maybe some of the details you, you're you're up to uh, speculation yep. as to how much did Tanya know and you know was Sean really a counterterrorism expert? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one's pretty well known. That no. we checked and you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> but I do. Um, Mom, can you dial that number again? <laughs> Just one more time. Is even just talking about Jeff and Tanya's relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, how much did he beat her? Did he not beat her? Did she beat him? Yeah. Um, Same with the mother, Tanya. Who shot at who? Yeah. Tanya, you know, claims that her mother beat her all the time. And then the mother says, I, you know, I hit her one time with a hairbrush. It's portrayed in the movie as if there was a, you know, a witness in the bathroom that was shocked to see a mother beating your child with a hairbrush. Yeah. So maybe that seems like that would be a true story because, oh, I saw her beating her one time in the bathroom. Yeah. But I guess you don't really know what's going on at home. Well, she for sure was uh, verbally abusive and emotionally yep. abusive. Yeah. Physically, I don't know. Uh, Did she throw a knife in her? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's uh, easy to make that leap that she probably was. Yeah. It's possible that she was in denial about it, that her mom was in denial about, you know, you know, I didn't beat her. I just, you know, I disciplined her. Mm-hmm. One of those types of things. And then with Jeff and Tanya, I think it's pretty easy to make the leap that they probably just beat the shit out of each other. Yeah. They both seem to have pretty violent tempers. <laughs> You know, I mean, you would at least understand it from Tanya having maybe more likely than not grown up in a very abusive, you know, physically abusive right. home. Abandoned by her father. Yep. You know, it's even funny. Her mom was talking about, you know, I've had 
five husbands. This is my sixth, and she points to her bird. Yeah. My, he's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> and I forget. Did she say Tanya's dad was the fourth or the fifth? The fourth. Husband okay. number four. Yep. And then, so they must have had one after that. Which, I don't know, in the timeline, they didn't really address that. Mm-hmm. See, I guess we kind of... I have five clips for this, so we'll kind of go through it a little more in terms of the timeline. So she obviously grew up poor, lower class, mm-hmm. white trash, redneck, whatever you want to call it. She identified as a redneck. Yep. <laughs> but at her, uh, I think it was her mother says that uh, T- Tanya was totally American. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which uh, you kind of knew what she meant when she said that. Yep. You know, loud, brash, mm-hmm. in your face. Yep. You remember that point for later. Okay. So I'll bring that up again. Totally American. But yeah, she she started competing at the age of four. And her coach originally didn't want to take her on, but, you know. She was too young. She was too young, but then Tanya's mom, being the way she is. <laughs> A bit persistent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And her mother found out pretty early that Tanya skates better when she's enraged. <laughs> yeah. Which kind of leads to a lot of the uh, the verbal and emotional abuse. Yep. Including making her wet herself on the ice. Mm-hmm. Skate wet. Yes. So, yeah, she was winning competitions apparently against girls twice her age. Yeah. She's winning at about four and a half, close to five, and... Seems like the other girls are about eight or nine or maybe even ten. Yeah, I think so. Cause she's skating circles around them. Because I forget what the age cutoff was for the coach. Was it like six or eight or something like that? I think it was around seven or eight. And then uh, I would imagine that competitions, that's probably the, you know, the lowest age group is like eight and under. Because I doubt that there's a lot of four-year-olds out there in competitive figure skating. <laughs> so, so yeah, she she got out there, you know, she's kind of a prodigy. Out there winning, winning competitions at a very young age, so. Yep. And even when uh, she's a little older, not quite Margot Robbie old yet, but, mm-hmm. you know, just prior to teenage years. I got a clip from that. Uh, this is about her fitting in. It's uh, between uh, Lavana and the coach talking. Talking about getting a fur coat. Yep. Good, Tony, but check out sooner. What does she need a fucking fur coat for? I don't have a fucking fur coat. Because it's not just about skating. The judges want figure skaters to be... Yeah, rich, prissy a-holes. Well-rounded. It's a question of fitting in. She's 12 and she lands fucking triples. She doesn't fit in. She stands out. She stands out because she looks like she chops wood every morning. She does chop wood every morning. Lavana, you want to work with me a little? 23 students I train so I can coach Tanya full-time. Yeah, and I waitress full-time to pay for your coaching. Yes, but she's not my child. No, she's mine, and I'm not throwing my money away so she can fit in with these little shits. You can dress up a pig however you want, you know what I'm saying, It's Diana? not just about fitting in, it's about how she's growing up. Lick my ass, Diane. <laughs> she can do a fucking triple. <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, Alice and Jenny is just golden here. That's Oscar material right there. <laughs> Lick my ass. 
So you can tell where Tani gets her suck my dick from. Right. She does chop wood every morning. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I guess I didn't really think about initially with Tani Harding. I mean, this I was about eight when this mm-hmm. all happened, or maybe still seven. Yeah. This is 94. And I, mean, I remember this being a huge story. I remember that. I think I remember some people, you know, there was obviously people that loved Tanya. Mm-hmm. I mean, more so before the incident. Yeah. But there were others that consider kind of trashy and trailer yeah. trash, uh, lower class, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, when this happened, I don't, like, I wasn't familiar with any of it. Like, it, I, it was a huge story, for sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, all I knew is that somebody got their knee taken <coughs> their knee taken out, mm-hmm. and then, then there were just constant jokes about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he knew Tanya Harding. Yeah. Like, she says she was the second most recognizable person in the world behind Bill Clinton. Yeah. Or her name, at least. Well, in fact, I don't, for a long time, I don't think I knew which one got their knee taken out. If it was Nancy or Tanya, I just knew those two names. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until later when uh, Tanya started showing up on reality shows and shit like that, that, uh, oh yeah, okay, Tanya Harding. She's the one. She's the one that perpetrated it. Yeah, but I thought it was pretty interesting how this film kind of handles class yeah because you can see throughout that she's looked down upon from the skating community at large and they want certain class of people representing that sport solely yeah Yeah, there's definitely an image of blue bloods only you know yeah figure skaters definitely have a a stereotypical image and tanya harding did not fit it whatsoever she just so happened to be really good at it yeah do she was able to do something at age 12 that no other female in the united states had ever done in competition yeah and actually uh here's a fun fact the first female to ever land the triple axle in a competition was midori ito from japan she did it in 1988 okay and then what tanya did it in what the next year 91 okay after her mother paid a guy $20 to heckle her. In Minneapolis, no less. Shout out to Minneapolis. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you betcha. I forget what this line is from, but I wrote down the Charles Barkley of figure skating. Yeah, uh, Jeff Gluley says that in one of the interviews. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, at the early 90s, I mean, Jordan was winning titles. Everyone kind of thought, at least for a little while, that Barkley was going to take over because he was a juggernaut. Yep. Scorer, rebounder, defender. Well, and he was doing the I'm not a role model stuff, too, around that time. Yep. Rebellious. You know. Kind of like Tanya was. Anything less would be uncivilized. (laughs) Yeah. Grey Poupon. No, that was a speed stick. Wasn't he in a Grey Poupon commercial? He might have been, but... The uncivilized line was speed stick. Okay. Anything else would be uncivilized. <laughs> <laughs> I think the I'm not her all model is for Nike. Okay. Or maybe Gatorade. I don't know. Something like that. But he's another guy, you know. He's a country boy from the South. Kind of a redneck, you know, type of guy. And 
you know, kind of like Tanya, similar upbringing. Yeah. You know, and they're uh, considered potentially the best in their sport, but they they couldn't, they could never get over the hump and win the big one. Yep. I mean, Tanya did win national competitions, but never the Olympics. And never, never medaled in the Olympics. She finished fourth in '92 and eighth in '94. Yeah, and so it was, this 94 was the first year they staggered the Summer and Winter Olympics. Yeah. So it's really unusual to get two shots that, that close together to be in the Olympics. And I kind of wonder if they had waited till 96, if, you know, what would have happened? Because she may not have even made the team. Yeah. You know, two years later, because after uh, the 92 Olympics, she was... She was almost done after those ones, mm-hmm. and it was kind of a, you know, last surge of her career to make it to the '94 Olympics. Yeah, uh, let's talk a little bit about the cinematography, especially during the skating scenes. It is fucking fantastic. Some great cinematography. <laughs> Cinnamon. <laughs> cinematography. What? Sounded like you said cinematography. <laughs> what? Cinematography. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you haven't watched Corporate yet. That's from season one. Okay. Everybody's watching a Black Mirror type TV show, and they're all about the cinematography. And one guy can't say it. He keeps calling it cinematography and hoping nobody, <laughs> <laughs> hoping nobody, uh, yeah, calls him out on it. It's hilarious. If you're not watching Corporate on Comedy Central, you need to look that shit up. Especially if you work in an office for a corporation. It's very relatable. Um, but yeah, the way the camera moves inside the rink while watching a skate is pretty fascinating. Uh, and especially with the uh, banging soundtrack it has. The oh, kin- yeah. Kinetic filmmaking is fine. It makes ice skating just so damn exciting. Oh yeah, the way they follow her around the rink and it's all kind of close-ups. and mm-hmm. I thought they did a great job of you know, I, I couldn't tell if they had a, a double or not. You know, I thought it was pretty seamless. Um, starting with Margot Robbie out there and then just going into the routine. And it was just like, you know, a lot of times you could tell that, oh, well, here's the double. Here's, the, here's where they switched. And I couldn't even, you know, not that I was looking super hard for it, but yeah. I, I thought it was very seamlessly done. And like, you, I agree with you. It made the scenes very uh exciting and and kept you interested in the movie and even if you're not a skating fan you're like shit this is pretty cool yeah because i mean the only time i watch figure skating is once in a while during the olympics yep so i'm not a huge skating fan but i found these scenes to be fucking riveting some of the best scenes in the movie and they keep the pacing up and yeah the soundtrack helps you know she picks songs that appeal to her that wouldn't necessarily be Used by other skaters, I'm sure. Maybe ZZ Top isn't so ladylike. <laughs> uh, there's also some other cool tracking shots, like when they're in the, or they show Jeff in the house and the Goodbye Stranger is playing by Supertramp. Mm-hmm. Camera goes through the house and then exits the house, and then it's almost like they was on a car that speeds off. That was a pretty cool shot because they show Gluli at three different parts of the house while the camera seemingly doesn't cut yeah 
So that was pretty crazy. They also frame a lot of the interviews within a it's a four by three box mm-hmm. format. I think that's just kind of to make it feel more like how television was at the time. Why? Well, yeah, and when they do the real interviews at the end, I think it's just that's how they were filmed, and it's more. I, I assumed it was more, you know, to get some realism in there that you're kind of watching the actual interview because i don't know if were they were they filmed for tv i didn't get a chance to look that up if those uh, interviews are for tv or if they're just for some kind of investigation or or what they're for for which ones the the interviews that the movie's based on i believe they were done at another time for a different purpose. I can't remember. Okay. But yeah, I just assumed that when they, you know, did the letterboxing on those interview scenes, that it was, it was more so to keep with the realism of shooting them how the, the actual interviews were shot. So she's skating and not getting the best of scores. Mm-hmm. Not even really finishing in the top three at all. And... She gets the sneaking suspicion that it's not about the skating because she's out skating all the other skaters, at least in her eyes. She's, yeah, she's very good technically. Yep. But there's something. Although LaVon thinks she uh, skated like a bull dyke (laughs) (laughs) after that one competition. Like a graceless bull dyke. She skated like a graceless bull dyke. (laughs) (laughs) So there's the. the scene on the ice where she tells the judge to suck her dick. We also judge on presentation. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I have a... They're, they're so pretentious. Yeah. You know, they, you can tell that they, they really do look down upon Tanya and her upbringing and her mm-hmm. background and how they feel like she kind of puts a stain on their sport. Yeah, then I have I have the uh, clip here where she uh, talks to the judge in his car in the parking garage. So I'll play that here. Hey, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. Can I? Can I just? Talk? Can I just? Can I talk to you for a second? Uh, just about my score. Happy to. I know that you guys don't like me, but I'm landing all my jumps out there. Tanya, it's never been entirely about the skating. I'll deny I ever said it, honey, but you're just not the image that we want to portray. You're representing our country for fuck's sake. You need to see a wholesome American family and you You just refuse to play along. I don't have a wholesome American family. Why, why can't it just be about the skating? Yeah, I thought it was obviously more telling of the, I guess, the, the class struggle that she kind of goes through in this. 
mm-hmm. whole skating ordeal. But it also kind of made me <laughs> think that he's, or I guess I don't know if the director did this purposefully or not, but it seems like he's relating Tanya Harding to Trump. Because hmm. he talks about how you're representing our country. They want a wholesome American family, you know, and you're not that. I, I didn't even think Cause, about that. Because she's brash, and obviously Trump is not a poor redneck. Right. But he is brash. <laughs> and he's he does share some similarities with Tanya Harding. <laughs> yes. Yes. Attitude-wise, for yeah. sure, and personality-wise. I can see the the connection there. Yep. I didn't even think about that. That didn't even occur to me, but I can see where, yeah. Because this came out in 2017, so obviously they were making it. This came out late 2017. Yeah. So they were making it after Trump had already been in office. I, I, could, see, I could see where you can make that leap, for sure, now that you mention that. But yeah, is it, this is where she goes and marries Jeff, right? So... I believe they were technically married from like 91 to 93 or 94. I think it says on her Wikipedia page. I think in the movie, though, that's kind of the catalyst for her to get back because they had split up. She's married in 1990. So it would have been before she even landed the triple axle. But, but that yeah, that would have been yeah. right around the time. Yeah, because I think this confrontation is like the 88 or 89. Mm-hmm. Um, divorce in 93. Although, obviously, they were still together <laughs> for a little while in 94. Yeah. So, I like the quotes around the, the wedding scene. Uh, Tanya goes, uh, you do dumb things when you're young, like marrying Jeff. <laughs> and then uh, at the wedding, I think it was at the wedding. Yep. Her mom goes, you fucked up. You don't marry dumb. You fuck dumb. You don't marry it. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's a winning wedding, you know, marriage right there when when that's how it goes right from the get-go, you know, that uh, it's not going to work out. Yep, and even before they're married and she's showing up at home with shiners on her face. and Oh, yeah. You know, the mom's talking about, you know, I never be with... Somebody would fucking hit me, and she goes, "Well, you hit dad, and well, that's different." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she talks about how, you know, it seems like you uh, want to get hit or think you deserve it, and she goes, "Well, where'd I, where'd I get that idea?" Right. <laughs> and then she gets hit for it. <laughs> yeah. I just want to let you know that I f- fully support this relationship. <laughs> Maybe he should hit you. But yeah, that conversation with the judge in in the parking lot, and he feared for his life. <laughs> <laughs> he thought he thought she was coming to to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> uh, that sparked the whole getting back together with Jeff, getting married, so you can be the all American girl, you know, start a family. Well, not really start a family, but you know, it, get married and and. Mm. Uh, have somebody there to support you <laughs> and uh hopefully with dove bars <laughs> but eskimo pies are just as good <laughs> but that that kind of started the whole process leading up to the nancy kerrigan thing yeah because she and jeff are fighting constantly 
and then Jeff's hanging out with his buddy Sean, and Sean's putting ideas in everybody's heads, and he's working himself, you know, on his own, unbeknownst to to everybody else, and it uh, it kicks off with him. Well, he reveals it as himself him later, but there was a death threat against Tanya at practice <laughs> for uh, I forget which uh, which event it was. I think it was in '93. I think it was after the first Olympics. Okay. Yeah, she finished fourth in the '92 Olympics, and then they. That's uh, what she she blamed her uh, skate being put on incorrectly, and all her jumps were off. She she claims. But also alludes to that she may have just been drinking and partying and yeah, not practicing enough. That yeah. kind of led to it as well. Yeah, that's right. Because she broke the uh, the lace on her skate like right before she. That was in the '94 Olympics. That's the '94. Yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> yeah, but she. You're right. She always had an excuse. Yeah. Of, of why she didn't win, mm-hmm. and then she's like, "Well, maybe it's kind of is my fault." Yeah. But no, not really. So she never really took a, a responsibility for anything. Yeah. So I guess I'll just play a clip here. It's what y'all came here to see, the incident, right? Mm-hmm. I was pretty surprised when Tanya called me. But she said, I don't, I don't think, think I can I make, can it, make it, to it to the Olympics, Olympics without, you. without you. I admit it. A part of me still thought that the sun rose and set with her. Wanted her to look at me the way that she used to. I just wanted to hold on. I figured it was just for three weeks. And the second I made the team, I was going to dump his ass. But before I could think too much on that, that leads, I mean, it's what you all came for, folks, the Fucking incident. The incident. Mm. The incident. <laughs> the fucking incident. Everyone remembers the incident differently, and that's a fact. Um, um, yeah, the incident album is probably my. It was probably my biggest, I guess, motivation to see the movie, or my biggest interest in it. Oh yeah. I was wondering how they were going to tackle the whole situation because it was something I remember from when I was a kid. And well, you always see that uh, the video of Nancy Kerrigan sitting on the ground crying. Yep. Why? 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 I'll admit there was one. I remember there was one weekend in college where there was like a buddy from out of town was there, and we rediscovered that video. Oh yeah. And uh, we laughed about it like the whole weekend. Because <laughs> at the t- I don't know, we just thought it sounded. She sounded so weird. Yeah. When she was yelling, but it's obviously a woman who was just brutally beaten in the knee. Right. With a what do you call that? A little lead pipe. Yeah, but it was like a extendable. Oh, Billy like Club a baton. Thing. Yeah, yeah, I forget what you. Yeah, baton. Like I think there's another baton. name for it, but. A retractable baton. Mm-hmm. But it's a tragedy, and it just kind of points to how, I guess, our culture gets joy from other people's tragedy. Yep. And the media feeds into that, of course, and that's where 
media and culture intersect for this episode because I'm just as guilty as most other people, you know, being interested in the story. I mean, at the time, seven, eight years old, I guess I wasn't, you know, watching news coverage all day. Right. But But going to the movie now, that's that's what I wanted to see. You know, I wanted to sink my teeth in the story, get a behind the scenes look, you know. Right. Well, like I mentioned earlier, like you heard about it constantly. Yeah. Like they did. There's parodies of it. There was, I'm sure WWE parodied parodied it. So I probably saw it there. Uh, heard people making jokes about it on TV and yeah, like it was uh, it was a serious situation, but it's also very comical the way because it's so absurd. Yeah, like just the fact that somebody would even come up with this scheme. And then pull it off the way they pulled it off. Yeah. So clumsily. <laughs> like, you almost forget that Nancy Kerrigan was injured. And the fact that she went back and she skated and she finished better than Tanya mm-hmm. kind of mediates or, you know, mitigates the, you know, the the hard feelings you might have about feeling. Well, she did have to pull out of the Nationals or that tournament, but then she was able to skate in the Olympics. Yeah. But you... uh you feel less bad about it knowing that she came back, even though she probably didn't necessarily skate up to her, what she might have, uh, the potential she might have reached if she didn't get attacked. But Did I say tournament or competition? I might know. have said tournament, but Either I guess way. it should be called a competition. I guess. It's really a, this isn't a two-day tournament here. It's not really a sport anyway. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> subjective these women if are quite was, fit if it was a real sport tanya would have won every <laughs> time it's there's no objective way to win it's yep. too subjective it's fucking rigged yep and that's why jeff and his fr- friend sean had to do something about it <laughs> yeah like we said in the natural born killers episode i think we're all kind of guilty of it, at least to a certain extent from time to time kind of i guess reveling in other people's misfortunes or you know, how, how our culture kind of builds people up just to tear them down. Yeah. I guess it's important to always remember that these are real people or like Tiny says herself, I'm a, I'm a real person. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, she isn't exactly a role model. No, no. But, but she probably didn't deserve everything that was thrown at her either. It's probably a little much for any person to go through. I expect yeah. them to be, I don't know. Uh, perfect <laughs> and i guess it depends on how much involvement you think she had in it yeah like did she know there was an attack did she help plan the attack or is it more like the movie showed where she was in on a scheme to try to kind of mess up nancy's practice time but didn't know that they were going to go as far as they did yeah that's the thing that i like to learn more about i i just as Bobby Cannavale talks about, um, I looked it up, and yeah, there was a there was a piece of paper found outside of a saloon, I guess, in a dumpster. A, saloon, in a dumpster, and it was supposedly in Tanya's handwriting, and it was Nancy's training schedule. You know, why would you need a training schedule if you're just mailing yep. letters? And the address to the rink where she was training at. Yeah, and they show in the movie. <laughs> 
there was a a scene where although it wouldn't have been the the wrong arena well it was yeah it was the her home arena in massachusetts tuna can arena where, where, <laughs> where she usually trains and so there's a scene where their informant or whatever is leaving a message for jeff so that he and he can't understand what the fuck this guy's saying yeah so tanya just says fuck it i'm gonna call this person writes down the info and that's what ends up being the uh the evidence to kind of point towards her knowing about the attack Mm -hmm. although she still denies it i mean obviously i haven't i'm not a handwriting expert i haven't seen the the piece of paper but it sounds pretty damning yeah i don't know if she denies that it's her handwriting or if she has any statement on it whatsoever but it's kind of it's still kind of circumstantial right yeah in my opinion, it makes me believe that she, more likely than not, knew about an actual assault. I don't know. This just, like if, why would you need a training schedule for letters? I don't know. This kind of reminds me of uh, the Montreal Screwjob from the WWF. <laughs> don't know what it is. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was Bret Hart's last match in, in the WWF. He was the champion. And he was defending against Shawn Michaels at Survivor Series in Montreal. And they in real life they hated each other. There's a lot of a lot of shit going back and forth for the last like couple years before that. And so Brett being the Canadian hero that he is, he was the he's the most popular Canadian athlete for years in the nineties. He refused to lose the title to Shawn Michaels in Canada. And so he agreed to do like a, a no finish, like a no contest finish, interference, come break it up, and then he would lose lose the title the next night on Raw or relinquish it because he was going to WCW. Well, Vince McMahon said, "Fuck that, can't have that happen." So they did a real a real life screw job on Brett, and they they worked it so that Shawn Michaels won the title in the match. And Brett freaked out or whatever. And for years after that, it was, did Sean know about it? Did Sean Michaels know that they were going to screw over Bret Hart? Or was he just as surprised? Uh, and for years, he denied it. And then finally, maybe 10 years ago, he, he admitted that he knew about it beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like everybody knew about it except for Bret Hart. This kind of reminds me of the same thing of... Mm-hmm. You know, did Tanya know or not? You know, and she's she's uh, sticking to her guns so far that she didn't know about it. Yeah. Even though I say more likely than not that she maybe knew about it, it's still maybe, in my opinion, 55%? <laughs> 60? Yeah. yeah, it's possible. I It's definitely possible, but I think I'm leaning more towards no, not mm-hmm. necessarily. Like, yeah. she knew that there was some shit going on and that there were... They're gonna fuck with Nancy, uh, in some way, shape, or form. But I yeah. doubt that she knew that it was gonna go as far as it did. Yeah, it doesn't prove to me beyond a reasonable doubt by any means. Yeah. So she'd still be not guilty in the court of law, at least in in my opinion. But but even like Jeff, I don't think Jeff even threw her under the bus and said, "Oh yeah, she knew about it." Yeah. Like I think he he pretty much defended her. Yeah, because I don't know. Right away, when he 
He he talks about how he. I don't even know if Jeff knew about it. When he confessed and pleaded to the FBI, he says those are the only people he told about what what happened, and they're the only people that know. Did Jeff admit to to knowing about it beforehand? Because I think he might have died the night it too. Um, well, he's found guilty of racketeering. Just going by Wikipedia, it says. At least conspiracy, uh, I, I would imagine. So on January 13th, 94, Eckert and Smith were arrested. January 14th, the USFSA made a statement on whether Eckert's arrest affected Harding's Olympic placement. We will deal only with the facts. Harding and Gluley's separate lawyers confirmed the couple were in daily contact in cooperation with law enforcement. On the 15th, Harding and Gluley spoke with reporters but declined comment about the investigation. On the 16th, her lawyer read a news conference statement denying Harding's involvement in the attack. Harding left her home that evening to practice figure skating with her coaches, where she spoke with reporters and performed a triple axel. On the 18th, Harding was with her lawyers when she submitted to uh, questioning by the district attorney and FBI. She was interviewed for over 10 hours. Eight hours into the interview, her lawyer issued a statement announcing her separation from Jeff Galuli. Quote, I continue to believe that Jeff is innocent of any wrongdoing. I wish him nothing but the best, end quote. Her full FBI transcript was press released on February 1st. The Seattle Times reported the transcript stating that Harding had, quote, changed her story well into a long interview after hours of denying any involvement in trying to cover up the plot. An FBI agent finally told her that he knew she had lied to him, that he would tell her exactly how he had lied to him. In the transcript's final passage, Harding stated, I hope everyone understands I'm telling on someone I really care about. I now know Jeff is involved. I'm sorry. On the 19th of January, Jeff Galuli surrendered to the FBI. On the 20th, Diane Sawyer asked Harding on Primetime Live about the criminal investigation. Harding said she had done nothing wrong. On the 27th, it was reported that Galuli had been testifying about the attack plot since January 26th possibly implicating Harding as having allegedly assisted. Harding's close friend, Stephanie Quintero, with whom she was living, spoke to reporters on her behalf. Quote, Tanya was uh, shocked, very hurt. She was believing in Jeff, what he was saying. Harding later held an 11 a.m. press conference to read a prepared statement. Uh, This is the one that was, I believe, in the movie where she read that prepared statement. Uh, She said she was sorry Nancy Kerrigan was attacked, that she respected Nancy and claimed not to know in advance of the plot to disable her. Hardy then publicly took responsibility for, quote, failing to report things about the assault when I returned home from Nationals on January 10th. My failure to immediately report this information is not a crime. Many state laws, including Oregon, certify that the act of concealing criminal knowledge alone is not a crime. Yeah, that the prepared statement they showed her reading in the uh in the movie is pretty famous pretty famous video uh on march 21st 94 a portland grand jury issued an indictment stating there was evidence harding participated in the attack plot the indictment concluded more than two months of investigation and witness testimonies from diane rawlinson erica backex which was harding's choreographer eckert's college instructor and classmates Surprise, Eckert went to college. <laughs> and Vera Morano, a freelance figure skating writer in Philadelphia. 
stated there was evidence Harding fraudulently used USFSA uh, providing skating monies to finance the assault. It also read that Harding, Gluley, Eckhart, Smith, and Stant agreed to knowingly cause physical injury by means of a dangerous weapon. The grand jury foreman said the evidence inferred Harding as involved from the beginning or very close. She was not charged in the indictment due to the terms of her March 16th plea agreement. Maybe I should look up Jeff Stone on Wikipedia, see if that's... So he changed his name to him, Jeff Stone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> not Gluley anymore. Probably a good idea. Although, again, I don't know who was looking for him after that OJ thing broke. So that everybody kind of bailed on the cameras. Because in, uh, in the film, they talk about Galuli was sentenced to two years, and he served eight months to the day, he says. He was guilty of uh, racketeering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that's also what Eckhart was charged with, racketeering. Shane uh, Stant and Derek Smith, I think is his last name. Yeah. Uh, I believe they were charged with second-degree assault or conspiring to commit second-degree assault. Well, I, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what. I would think that Stant would have gotten charged with assault. Yeah. For actually pulling it off. I don't know if Smith could also get charged with that, even though he didn't actually commit the actual Oh, he's assault. the getaway driver. He's an accomplice. True. So maybe he just got conspiracy. I wonder if he got charged for running through that glass door. (laughs) Tackling that innocent bystander on the (laughs) sidewalk. Oh, my goodness. Very subtle. Here, let's let's meet Brett's favorite character, Sean. This is an interview he did with, uh, not sure who it was. She was off screen. But it's based off of a a real life interview. Yeah. Yeah, there's this feeling out there that... The one who was power mad, the one who was megalomaniacal, was you. Incorrect. Um, I am a professional bodyguard and an international counterterrorism expert. I, I, I work around the world for espionage agencies. But, Sean, you don't. But I do. But, Sean, we checked, and you don't. But I do. But you don't. But I do. I, uh, I've actually been quoted as an expert uh, in terrorism trends and profiles. Where? Um, in... I believe it was a travel magazine a couple of years ago in, during the Gulf War. This is the brains behind the whole operation. <laughs> he has operatives all over the country. Oh, my goodness. And two of his best operatives pulled off this job. <laughs> the best. And when the story gets bigger and bigger, what does he say? Like 50 grand, 60 grand. He's telling people at bars when he's drunk in the movie. Oh, yeah. I didn't tell Two of my guys. I didn't tell anybody. Paid us 50 grand. <laughs> <laughs> Says he didn't tell anybody, except for he told everybody. (laughs) I like when they come to get him at his house, and they're like, are you Sean Eckhart? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Then his mom's in the background. Who's at the door, (laughs) Shawnee? It's funny he was trying to convince Galuli to, you know, keep his head straight, keep calm, and he goes... 
you know, my parents taped over my favorite episode of Star Trek to record the CNN coverage, but I'm holding it together. <laughs> <laughs> and he says that he was the one who called in the death threat to Tanya. Yeah. At the arena, which I'm not, I haven't read anything about that. It's kind of like the- I'm not sure if that was an insinuation or it, it maybe it is an admission. I just didn't see it online or what, but. I don't know, but that was a uh, the catalyst to the whole thing. It was the death threat to Tanya Harding. He thinks all the ice skaters are going to need bodyguards now. Yeah. For some reason, they're going to want him. <laughs> or one of his operatives. <laughs> Shane Stant. I've been uh, quoted as an expert. <laughs> I believe it was a travel magazine. <laughs> During the uh, Gulf War. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, he 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 admits to doing the the death threat on Tanya, which convinced her and Jeff to let him do the same thing to Nancy, which spirals totally out of control, and just leads to the the attack. It's funny when uh, he's such a fuck up. Bobby Cannavale, I believe he plays Martin Maddox, is the hard copy reporter. Yeah, it goes so unbelievable that. You know, this was pulled off by two of the biggest boobs you've ever heard of in a story comprised solely of boobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like too because he was when he introduces himself, he, he talks about how hard copy was the show, the tabloid news show that all the real news shows looked down upon, and then later became. Yep, that was another point I wanted to bring up later, or I mean. Later is now, so perfect timing. Seems to me that this movie can be an allegory for the current state of media and that you don't really know who the fuck to believe. Right. Because you're hearing all these interviews and you're taking all this information in. A lot of it's misinformation. A lot of it's lies. Some of it's true. Right. But you you aren't 100% sure of what's true. And that's what happens when you watch the fucking news these days. Well, and then, like, so in the movie, what's his name, Maddox? Martin Maddox. Martin Maddox admits that he would have Tanya Harding's truck either towed or the air let out of her tires almost daily just to get her out of the house so they could take pictures. Yep. And then how many times have you seen those behind-the-scenes videos or pictures of CNN where they're staging the shot for live news, where they're like, look at this crowd is formed, and it's just like, they get a bunch of people to come and stand behind Anderson Cooper. Yeah. Or, look at the flooding here, and like he's up to his waist in it, and then he's just standing in a ditch, mm-hmm. whereas there's no water on the road, you yeah. know? And it's... Though I think they... They claim to have explained that somehow. I forget which. I remember but, that he explained it, but yeah. Um, then he's like, "That was two years ago." Like it doesn't change the fact. Yeah, that you did it. I mean, I don't like CNN at all, but I don't want to just shit on them. Like same could be said for Fox News. I can't believe everything they fucking say either. I, I can't believe, or I can't believe anything that basically any mainstream outlet says. True, I agree with that. And it bothers the hell out of me because I'm taking all this information in and I don't know how much of it is misinformation or information that's just 
basically from one viewpoint or yeah. it might have an agenda behind it or all of the above. And the fact that these days you can kind of find other sources, more independent sources, and, and verify it and fact check it, whereas back in 1994, you just took everybody at their word. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And now, you know, in our country, we've been hearing about Russian collusion for damn near three years. Yeah. And the report that everyone said was going to be so damning has no proof that there was collusion. Found no evidence. <laughs> no, but it does not exonerate Trump. Well, then it's... It's like, well, you think after two and a half years, you'd find something. Yeah. For how dumb they portray him and everyone around him to be, there's got to be fucking something you can prove. <laughs> right. Really? If it you happens. You can't prove anything. Oh, okay. I'm glad I listened to this fucking horse shit for the past three years. Well, and then it, what it made me think of is, I don't know if you remember, two years ago, Van Jones was on a... They did a hidden camera. Oh, he said it's a and big nothing burger? And he says it's a big nothing burger. If there was something, they would have found it by now, and it would have leaked. Well, two years later, we find out he was right. Yeah. You know? But CNN led with it every night. Russia yeah. collusion. Like, major news outlets, like the major anchors were guaranteeing things like impeachment or he's going to jail. Yeah. And... Just the same thing they said, Hillary's going to win. There's not even a chance for Trump. Mm -hmm. So people wonder, or I don't know, nobody's coming up and asking me, why don't you believe the news? Well, right. if they did, which <laughs> they don't really need to, but if they did, I'd be like, what have they been right about <laughs> right. the past, any of them? There's, I'm there's, sure, I bet you, if, I mean, I didn't watch Fox News around the election time, Yeah, but I'm sure, I'm sure as hell they didn't project Trump to win. And they're yeah. seen as, you know, the right-wing news group. I don't think anybody did. <laughs> yeah, fucking nobody did. You know? But, yeah, there's so many examples where the news just beats you over the head with a story, and then it turns out, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. And then they bury some kind of correction, you know, on their website or something, and then they would go on to the next one. But they got the ratings. They got people yep. hooked and... You know, talking. Never mind that. Oh, sorry. I guess we were wrong about that. And then there was the uh, story about a maybe about a month ago about the uh, you know U.S. has sent aid down to Venezuela, and Maduro's men they burned that truck full of U.S. aid trying to get into the country. Did you hear about that story? And then it was all the like New York Times, CNN. Everybody said, "Oh my God, they're." burning the aid we sent them. Mm -hmm. And we found out that it was anti-Maduro rebels that had thrown Molotov cocktails that <laughs> let the, burned the truck down. But uh, the media was talking about it for days before yeah. even correcting it. And the corrections were not that prominent. No, absolutely not. They love to uh, sound the drums of war over at the uh, mainstream media. Or even CNN, Fox, everyone. I'm not talking, I'm not yeah. taking sides here. Everyone fucking does it because war is good for business for the news. Or even not even that uh, that big. How many stories have you heard where a waiter or a waitress 
posts a picture of a <laughs> re- receipt with a hateful note on it. Yeah. And then a week later, it turns out they wrote it themselves. Mm-hmm. I've seen no fewer than probably 10 to 20 of those that turn out to be fake. Yeah. And they run it. You know, it's front page news and, you know, they're like, everybody's, you know, I got your back. We're going to, you know, you can't have that stuff going on in America. And then, you know, you get a little blurb when they find out that it's, that it was fake. It's buried at the bottom of the list of, of articles. Remember that uh, story about uh, that couple that ran into the homeless guy at the gas station? They just set up a GoFundMe for him? <laughs> yeah. And they found out they're all in cahoots. <laughs> <laughs> the homeless man was all pissed off because he didn't get enough or much of the money. I think he only got like twenty five grand when he was supposed to get, I think, a couple hundred thousand or something. That was such a hilarious <laughs> story because it was, uh, yeah. So it, it, this homeless guy gave his last twenty dollars to a woman so she could buy gas, and then they set up a GoFundMe to support the homeless man. And then a few months later, he sued the couple for not giving him the money from the GoFundMe campaign. <laughs> yeah. And they said, we gave you 25000 You spent it all on drugs. You're not responsible. We can't give it to you. And then it turns out it was just a hoax from the beginning <laughs> to swindle people out of their money. And they couldn't fucking get along once the money came in. Yep. <laughs> and so once, once he sued the couple... That all the shit hit the fan and everybody's like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> this don't add up. But that was a big news story. That was all over. You know, the feel yeah. good story of the of the week. There's always got to be one feel good because everything else is shit. So yeah. there's got to be one shining light. They always end a, the, you know, the news show on a high point like yeah. Anchorman. Look at this squirrel that can water ski. <laughs> right. Well, that's all for us tonight. See you tomorrow. But I, I've seen a ton of stories where, you know, it's something like that. Oh, help this person out. Let's set up GoFundMe. And then it turns out it's just a, you know, a swindle. Yep. And, of course, the culture doesn't help the situation by consuming all the media that they can. Well, yeah. And today, I think there's a good number of people today that question everything they see. Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas back in 94, like I said, you don't question anything. They tell yeah. you this happened, it happened. You know? So. And then things started happening like Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. And who was it? Tom Brokaw talking about. Or Tom Brokaw was the one that got caught lying about Bush's uh, military record, correct? Dan Rather. Dan, it was Dan Rather. Yeah. Okay. Who was the one that was. Uh, Brian Williams. Flew, flew another, uh, Brian Williams the sniper under, fire? Yeah. <laughs> he was getting shot at. Oh, I forgot that it wasn't us that was getting shot at. Yeah. And who was Hillary Clinton with? What news organization when she said she flew into uh, some country under taking sniper fire and they showed her shaking hands and saluting on the tarmac <laughs> with people? I don't remember. Was that NBC too? I don't know. Her and Brian Williams flying in together? <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, I just question everything I read, no matter where it comes from. Yeah. I go, does this make sense? Is it, is it plausible? Or, like, number one, is it plausible? Sure. What's the source? 
maybe I believe it. Yeah. It's like everything I read, wherever it comes from, I'm like, if it seems like it's a, if it's a well-written story or well-researched, mm-hmm. I go, hmm, maybe that's true. Right. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> and, and these days, if, you, if you're so inclined, you can go find video of just about any event that makes the news. You know, yeah, but usually you have to wait for the full video. <laughs> I know there's there's stuff like that. So, what was it? The you want to talk about the Covington Covington, kid? where they said uh, you know they surrounded this poor Native American veteran, and then they show the whole video and he confronted them, mm-hmm. and it was like the complete opposite. Or Jussie Smollett, yeah. You know, it says I got attacked by two Trump supporters. Well, it was a couple of guys from Nigeria that he paid. Yeah. That he uh, was uh, training. One of them was his personal trainer. Although that case, the small case, I don't blame as much on the media. Like, obviously, there's people that went overboard with it. But yeah. all the media was doing for that one was, I mean, there wasn't video of it. They were just repeating what he alleged. Yeah. You know, he goes on Instagram or Twitter or something he posts a picture of himself in the hospital, and he's saying, you know, I got attacked by these white supremacists, yelling MAGA and all that stuff. And like, So they're literally just reposting what he said. Yeah. But then, you know, other people run with it. And that's where the culture, I guess, the culture problem rears its ugly head. That's true. Because people immediately jumped on it and says, you know, if you don't believe him, you're racist or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then turned out he was full of shit. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. He's a, he's allegedly full of shit. <laughs> he has not been convicted yet. <laughs> he's been charged. He's <laughs> There's only 16 counts. Okay. <laughs> 16 felony counts. Oh, my goodness. But at this uh, this Nancy Kerrigan attack was pretty much on TV. I don't remember if they saw the actual attack on TV or just the aftermath. Just the aftermath. The camera cuts to her as she's sitting on the ground crying and screaming. I wish they had video of Shane Stant running out of that building. They alleged that he used both hands and wound wound up like a baseball bat. In the movie, he just, with one arm, smacks her. Because he wound up with both hands. That would have been pretty good. Pretty brutal. shot. (laughs) Yeah. Metal baton. I wonder if they have video of him running out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> if they like security cam on the door, because I want to see him go through that door. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He think he'd use the baton, and he uses his head <laughs> right to bust it open. And it looked like there was a double door there that was chained, but it looked like to yeah. the left of it was another single door that wasn't chained. Well, yeah, like those Almost like that was a handicap door, maybe that was automatic. Like those doors are designed to lock from the outside, but still allow you to go yeah. from inside out because it's a fire hazard if you can't. <laughs> like, just push the fucking handle, guy. Um, you talked about uh, hard copy in the movie, talking about how they let air out of retires. Yeah. There's a story I read uh, that said that I guess there's a famous, uh, semi-famous footage of her. She was at a train. Uh, Tani was at a training session, and she was parked illegally. Hmm. And so the tow truck was there to tow her car away, and she, I guess she ran after it barefoot. And the the media was there, and they videotaped her running after this tow truck barefoot. So, 
They kind like every day just making her seem crazier and crazier. They kind of reenacted that, but it was outside her house. Yeah. Well, then too, like her mom goes in and she's wearing a fucking tape recorder, trying yeah. to get a <laughs> statement from her for the press. She got paid off. And it was funny, too, because her mom put up a velvet rope in front of her house and says, take as many pictures as you want, just stay behind the rope. Yeah. And so they did. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, her mother was uh, not too heartbroken about the fame and celebrity that came with the Yeah, the she really did take money and all that, that they allege in the film. She was someone embracing the celebrity, trying yep. to make money off of it, and not giving a whole lot of thought to how it affected her daughter. Yeah, and it's it's pretty obvious that she didn't have much uh she didn't care much about Tanya or her her well-being. In fact, uh, at one point she says, you know, I sacrificed everything so you could be a a skater. Why do you think I was such an asshole? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, thanks, mom. So we towards the media a little bit. Let's Get back to the culture part of it. Uh, I'm going to play the last clip here. This is Tanya towards the end of the film talking about, I don't know, all of us. I thought being famous was going to be fun. I was loved for a minute. Then I was hated. And I was just a punchline. It was like being abused all over again. Only this time it was by you. All of you. You're all my attackers too. Yeah, later she talks about, you know, America. They want someone to love, but they want someone to hate. Yeah. I think that's pretty true. A lot of times our culture builds people up just to tear them down. Well, then even if if Tanya didn't have anything directly to do with the attack, like Nancy Kerrigan is a sympathetic figure. Yep. For sure. And Tanya was the most visible character that you can, you know, project your hate onto in the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And... Even though she's just guilty by association, like she's the most famous, she's the most recognizable. And so, you know, everybody kind of built that up as a rivalry, even though before that they were friendly. You know, they had been roommates uh, at certain competitions. According to her, I mean, I haven't, obviously, I've never heard, I guess, Nancy Kerrigan say, yeah, we used to be best friends. I don't know if they're best friends, but. I mean, no, good friends. But you yeah. Know, but I. together on the road. And I, don't, I don't think there was any like real animosity between the two you know maybe competitive wise you know mm-hmm. they're, they're competitive but it, it seemed like i don't have any reason to believe that there was animosity but since those were the two biggest names in figure skating and tanya's ex-husband was behind the the attack or at least involved you know you you take your hate out on Tanya because you don't know Jeff Kaluli. You don't know Sean Eckert. Yeah. You know Tanya Harding. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Especially if you're, you know, you're a fan of Nancy Kerrigan. You know, you hate, you already probably hated Tanya Harding because she was yeah. up-and-coming rival of hers. 
Just like you probably didn't like Christy Yamaguchi or Roxana Bayul because Nancy's my girl, right? Or if you're like a traditional, we talked about earlier, like we were too young to know about it, but if you're a traditional uh, figure skating fan, Tanya Harding was like the opposite of the stereotypical <laughs> figure yeah. skater. And so you probably didn't didn't like her because of that before. And then this just validated your beliefs that she's just a, a garbage person. <laughs> yep. So I can see where, where Tanya would feel like she was abused by the public because they made her out to be a villain, whether she, you know, deserved that, that title or not. Yeah, you know, they, like you said, the late night turned her into a punchline. Oh, yeah. And uh, kind of a punching bag for America. For years. I mean, mm -hmm. it went on for probably a decade. Yep. Before uh, it was early two thousands, I think when she did that celebrity boxing, yeah, and I think she did like the surreal surreal life, and then obviously they did like VH one. She did a bunch of stuff for VH one. Uh, they did the you know I love the nineties covered it obviously, mm -hmm. and so like it kind of dredged up a lot of that stuff again, and uh, she became a punchline all over again. Yep, once she kind of got back into the public eye. But I don't hear about it as much anymore. Like it's just like, you know, she. It's it's almost like she's a completely different person now. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure she actively tries to see out the public eye, whereas before she was still doing events, like you said, of the TV shows, the boxing, the, well, she, the porn. Remember, there was that porno tape. <laughs> she was involved in a porno tape. Yeah, I might have heard about that. I don't remember. Not sure who that I think it was with her and Galuli. That sounds familiar. Oh, so it was like a was an like older a tape that one I think, or like a or like a I think it was a homemade like a tape that one. got released. Okay. For money. But she still does TV and stuff today, but it's more like you know, you almost forget she was a figure skater. Yeah. She's just a dealer celebrity at this point. Mm -hmm. She's only 48 right now. So she's still relatively young. Yeah. She wants everyone to know that she's a good mother. <laughs> so it says at the end of the movie. I wonder how old her, her daughter is. Or does she have a daughter? I don't know. Her kid. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was a boy or girl. It was one child, I believe. She's been with her current husband for around nine years or so. But yeah, I mean, there's plenty of icons and culture that were just built up and torn down and think about Britney Spears. Oh yeah. How crazy that whole arc was <laughs> teen sensation. I wouldn't say America's sweetheart, but something close to that. Everyone loved her. And yeah. then the media would not fucking leave her alone. Well, and then she, and she has a meltdown. Well, marrying Kevin Federline didn't help, <laughs> you know, you're you're so judgmental. No, it was it was one of those things. It was like with Tanya. It's like, you know, we knew you were a redneck, but you you hit it well, and yeah. now you married this piece of trash. Who now you're a redneck again? So we're gonna dirty we're gonna brown shoot. water trash. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna shoot you as such. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, she had that meltdown. And you don't have to be the biggest celebrity to have a 
meltdown or I guess caved to the pressure of being a public figure. There's countless examples of people being in the spotlight and just what Amanda Bynes. Yeah. That one yeah, that one comes to mind. Your life can just get destroyed by I guess people's just infatuation with you, their perception of you. Right. I guess anyone that hires a publicist probably worries about this. <laughs> it's probably even more prevalent in the in the age of Twitter and social media. Yeah. Cuz you get, you know, like James Gunn was making just horrible off-color jokes on Twitter 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he got fired for it. Yeah. But then they forgave him. Although, now the report is now that he was never actually fired. Oh. Like, not once. Really? Like, they're saying they they just basically made it seem like they fired him because of the that was during the Fox merger. <laughs> they wanted the Fox merger to go through. Oh, so now so now that it's done? Why, why would that affect the Fox merger? Mm, I'm sure it would, could affect, like, the uh, sales figures. Like, well, you're not worth as much now. Brand took a hit for yeah, this but, controversy. But Disney You don't is, have as much leverage over us. But Disney is buying Fox. Yeah. I don't know. That's weird. Or like I don't know, Kevin Hart had those jokes from ten years ago about how he didn't want his kid to be gay and Yeah. That prevented him from hosting the Oscars because people wanted him to apologize again mm-hmm. and again and again, even though he had done it multiple times and felt that he had uh, already expressed his contrition and didn't need to keep apologizing. Yeah. You know, so. Also, like I said, with the Fox merger thing, it was said it was a, there was a report. not saying I necessarily believe it. Okay. <laughs> I read it. <laughs> I was just trying to think the logic behind that. Of why, why would you, I guess it's a, it's obviously a PR move, right? Yeah. Because you don't want to look like you support pedophilia mm-hmm. um especially being disney <laughs> and uh obviously the jokes were in poor taste you know and not necessarily funny a lot of them weren't but uh you know people change you know james gunn used to work for trauma using the citizen uh toxie mm-hmm. as a <laughs> a perverted a uh, scientist who was very much like Stephen Hawking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're going to get mad at somebody for, for jokes, you know, whatever. But I don't know where I'm going with that. But well, the, the fact is the public can turn on you at any time. Yeah. And like you were saying. For any reason. Just because you make one mistake doesn't mean you need to be condemned to hell. Forever. In the eyes of the public, yeah, forever. Right. Just like Tanya, I don't think all that highly of her necessarily, but I do find at least parts of her to be very sympathetic or things I can relate to. Right. Or at least she represents things I can relate to, class struggle. Not to say that I was redneck, poor white trash or anything, but right. definitely wasn't a blue blood. But, you, yeah, you kind of have to take into account where these people came from. Yeah. Right. Like Tanya grew up in an abusive home. She had an abusive marriage. Uh, Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty, pretty well documented. And so, you know, you 
you got to kind of keep that in in consideration when when you judging her personality and you know the the kind of image that she puts out there you know it kind of goes back to that scene that that clip that you played where they wanted her to get a fur coat to portray the image that the figure skating academy or whatever wanted Mm -hmm. well she ended up killing a whole bunch of rabbits to make her own fur coat (laughs) (laughs) and so it's kind of the same thing like you know, you put a pig in it, whatever you want, it's still a pig. Yeah. You know. Dress up a pig however you want. But, so you, you can only, like, you are who you are, but that doesn't mean that you can't change. Like, yeah. Like, every experience brings a different change to, to who you are as a person. And so, like you mentioned, you can't judge Tanya for something that happened in 1994 because obviously she's grown and, you know, changed, I would assume, for the better because of it. She's learned lessons and, uh, you know, became a better person because of it, even though it was a, a shitty thing that happened. Yeah. And people, it seems like people are surprised sometimes when they see celebrities crack under the immense pressure that they're under or public scrutiny. Right. Like these fucking celebrities snap all the time and they're like oh look how crazy this this asshole is it's like well yeah you guys have been fucking focused on him for years or yeah. her like you know, whoever Mar- it is like martin lawrence running around in his underwear i don't know if i know that one you don't hear that one i saw him in a trailer he's in uh, the beach bum movie coming out is he mm-hmm. he claimed it was illuminati oh yeah it was after him mm. i could see it <laughs> depending <laughs> on when it was in his career it was in the, uh, let's say, mid-2000s. Maybe, I guess. Was this before or after Rebound? <laughs> Big Mama's House. One think, and or two. I think it was after Big Mama's House. Maybe before Rebound. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a current, uh, or I guess a recent movie that kind of t- discussed this what we're talking about here with the celebrities being built up and people projecting their own beliefs and wants and needs on these celebrities and building them up and tearing them down and expecting so much of them is a movie called Vox Lux I talked about came out last fall Uh, Nellie Portman she's a pop star and kind of you watch it it's a it wasn't so much about media it was just more about the culture and how it treats its celebrities yeah, I haven't seen that, but I know you did review it on a mm-hmm. on an episode that we did. I think you made my top ten. It was number ten or number nine. There you go. Yeah, you only saw ten movies last year. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, of course, she's, I guess, technically in the media because she's a musician, pop star. But yeah, but we're kind of focused on the news media and culture in this, I guess, in this slate of episodes. But uh, I don't know. Any other closing thoughts? Um, that was kind of the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, obviously, she gets stripped. She has to. She she's banned from figure skating. Banned for life. Which is a kind of a heartbreaking scene, even though you're like, well, <laughs> she's probably not the best person, but you still feel bad for her because that's 
right. the way that she's portrayed, you know, that is literally the only thing she can do. Well, and you kind of wonder though, like I said, if if they didn't have the Winter Olympics bumped up to 1994, how long would she have kept skating? Would she have made it to the Olympics in '96? Yeah. Like, like how long could she have kept it up? You know, beyond 1994, mm-hmm. even if she wasn't banned, or if it was like a two-year ban or a four-year ban. You know, there's younger, hungrier skaters coming up. And, and, you know, she was already finishing, what, fifth place in the Olympics. So it's uh, it's a question of, you know, maybe it was the end regardless. Yeah. But, yeah, it, it was a good movie. Playing that last clip reminded me of how great the soundtrack was. Mm-hmm. Just overall, like, just hit after hit. Yeah, banging soundtrack classic rock some 80s which you know right up my alley of course Mm -hmm. you love your 80s yep got that 80s fashion in the early part of the movie the costume design was also terrific in here you saw how all of her um skating costumes kind of matched tanya's in real life yep and then like the the people in the interviews you saw the real life people and you're like oh they're dressed pretty much the fucking same like it's like you said, the makeup, the makeup costume was all just perfect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought it was fantastic. We should probably go over some fun facts, huh? Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. Apparently, when Tanya Harding first saw the film, she particularly liked the suck my dick line. She told Margot Robbie that she wished she had actually said that. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised she didn't. Uh, Nancy Kerrigan stated in interviews relating to her Dancing with the Stars appearance that she would not be seeing this movie, despite not knowing how much of it would feature her, saying, I already lived through that. Who is this? Nancy. Okay. Here's a fun fact. Although Margot Robbie trained extensively for the role, she was not able to perform a triple axel, nor could a skating double be found to do so, as very few women figure skaters are able to perform the jump. Uh, producer Tom Ackerley stated, "There's been only six women since Tanya Harding who have been have done a triple axel. Even if there was one who was doing it today, she'd be training for the Olympics and couldn't risk doing it for the film. Hmm. So they accomplished the jump with uh, visual effects." Here's another fun fact. Uh, it says here the movie wrapped filming on March 10th, 2017, according to Margot Robbie's Instagram. So it was filmed. Probably, I don't know, probably didn't film all that long, but after Trump was elected. Yeah. Well, it says Alice and Janney only filmed for eight days. Really? Yeah. Damn. You know, she probably could have done all the interview scenes in one day. Yeah. But everything else, she has to go to different sets. Here's a fun fact. In 1993, director Craig Gillespie directed a Campbell's Soup ad starring Nancy Kerrigan. <laughs> Steven Rogers never had experience interviewing a real-life subject before the film. He initially called Tanya Harding's agent to obtain the life rights to her story and got a Motel 6. I don't know what that means. When he finally tracked her down, he found her extremely forthcoming over a two-day interview. Harding did not feel like she had anything to lose at that point. She probably didn't. 
says here that the whole movie was shot in 30 days. There you go. So, February to March. <laughs> Margot Robbie and Sebastian Stan portray redneck Americans, but neither actor is American. Robbie is Australian and Stan is Romanian. He's the winter soldier. They took our jobs! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, not a lot of uh, trivia for this one. Yeah, solid movie. Yeah, so be looking out for our next episode on, I think we're going to do Nightcrawler next. We'll probably do some a mini up or two before that. And then I think we'll wrap up with Anchorman 2. Get a funny one in there. There you go. Go over that 24-hour news cycle. But until next time, you can follow us on Twitter at watch this underscore movie or Brett at positively wolf one. Email us at watch this movie at yahoo.com. Check out our website at wtmwatchthismovie.com. And please rate and review and subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and many other podcast apps. You search whatever one you have, we're probably on it. Other than that, we will check you later. Check you later. Bye. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking about? Check you later. Check you later. Hey, man, you're off my case.